Now, in Britain today, some people get arrested when they preach the Christian message out on the streets. Are you aware of that? That sometimes happens. And so it can be a dangerous thing. But fortunately, we haven't been troubled by the police during healing on the streets or other things when we've gone out on the streets. But there is a contestation. There There is something contested about Christianity in our modern world. And, uh, and it's also true to say that we, we're, co- we're contested from inside, aren't we? We have experiences, those of us who have faith or maybe people who are interested. I, I wonder about Christianity. You often hear people say, I've had people tell me, oh, I'd love to believe like you believe, but, but I can't. Um, because I don't have the gift. And the implication is that uh, often that, that I have the gift of being able to believe something that's untrue. But I don't believe that's what Christianity is, right? And, um, and, and nobody says it quite so insultingly, but that's the sort of implication. And the thing is, I find there's plenty of events that happen in my life that, that knock me off, that, that knocks my faith, and not least the sort of failures that happen in your life. And we can often feel, we've been talking recently about God having a divine design for each individual person. Whether they come to church or not, God, our Father, has a divine design for people. But people are often without hope, like we were hearing earlier. They are without hope. They feel there is no future for them. And we can feel like that. We can feel we, we've messed up. We've, we've messed up. Our hands are too dirty to, to, to have God touch us or come near to us. And so what are we uh, to make of this? So I want to read a story uh, today. And uh, it's uh, another one from Luke's Gospel. And there's a map. This is taking place uh, near the Sea of Galilee. This is up here. In, in, you'll see there's a town here called Gennesaret. And it's also called the Lake of Gennesaret. And that's what it's called in this story we're going to read today. And we read these stories from the Bible because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And therefore what he did, what he said, is, a, is like a window for us onto eternity. It's opening a, a portal so that we may know something. that is everlastingly important and of great significance for us. So if I read from the passage then, it says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, also called Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he, Jesus, sat down and taught the people from the boat. You know, sound carries much more uh, easily over water than it does over land. When, verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. I mean, we've worked hard. It, It failed tonight. It didn't work. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Would you say that with me? Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. (laughs) And when Simon Peter saw this, how did he react? It says, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Don't come and shake these dirty hands. 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Now, in Britain today, uh, we would not expect if someone, if I went out in the Sainsbury Centre and started preaching or outside Tesco in Adelstone, apart from potentially getting into trouble, there would not be many people would gather to listen. Am I speaking the truth or not? Isn't that our experience? Uh, 30 odd years, well, over 35 years ago, I spent a year doing a lot of outdoor mission and I did it in three countries, in Britain, in Barcelona, in Spain and in Piraeus in Greece. And it was really interesting because it was in that order. In Britain, you could go out with a group of people, you could do a drama, and maybe some sketchboard, or, or stuff that was visually or dramatically appealing, and you would gather maybe ten people. In Barcelona, in Spain, you could go with the same group of people, do the same kind of activities, and maybe 30 people would gather. And uh, in Piraeus, in Greece, we could have 150 people stop. In fact, what I found, I was actually leading. There was about a team of about 50 of us. We would sing, we would do drama, and we would go out. We went for about three months almost every day to this particular square in Piraeus, Greece. Not only could we gather 150 people, but I realised you could go further. You could actually make an appeal. You could preach, and then you could make an appeal, and people would come and kneel on the pavement to respond to the gospel. Right? And, and that was, the, I, don't know, I don't know whether the same would be true in Piraeus today, but there are differences at different times. And um, uh, uh, you know, it made me think, actually, of George Whitfield, because, you know, preaching out in the open air, uh, Jesus did it all the time, but it got stultified. In Europe, it was, became something nobody did. But in 1739, George Whitfield was moved to go. Such were the crowds who came to hear him. Not always. There was a lot of opposition. And, and actually, just a few days before, he'd been very ill. And then he'd preached at some places and he said there was just no power. That there was nothing. It was dead. And then he's moved um, to uh, it's, it's about one in the afternoon. I went with my brother Seward, he says. Now, Seward was martyred the following year in Evesham. He was the first Methodist martyr, okay? He was killed by a mob in doing open-air mission. But uh, this is on the um, 17th of February, uh, 1739. Uh, Whitfield says, one in, uh, this is his journal, right? One, about one in the afternoon, I went with my brother Seward uh, and another friend to Kingswood near Bristol and was most delightfully entertained by an old disciple of the Lord. This is old-fashioned language. My bowels have long since yearned towards the poor colliers, the, the coal miners, who are very numerous and, as, who, uh, and have, are like sheep without a shepherd. After dinner, therefore, I went upon a mount and spake to as many people as came unto me. There were upwards of 200. Blessed, blessed be God that I have now broken the ice. I believe I never was more acceptable to my master than when I was standing to teach those hearers in the open fields." in the open air and he it just released something in his spirit and that began then him he led john wesley into it and they would start to preach in the open air to many many thousands and they were much criticized right they were criticized by the church they were criticized in the media of their day and and got into um a lot of trouble but all kinds of wonderful stories unfold and uh, and they were greatly 
um, used by God. And uh, eventually they, 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 they were gathering several hundreds and then many thousands were coming to listen to them. And, uh, and, and he describes um, uh, such sort of, you know, blessings upon them, all the people who turned to Christ and how they were, were helped. But I won't read any more of those stories. So um, here we have this story of Jesus preaching in the open air, as so often he did. The story is actually very, very simple. I just had a slide of a sort of structure. The boat's taken out into the lake. Jesus speaks to Simon Peter. Simon Peter speaks to Jesus. A miracle occurs. Simon Peter speaks to Jesus again. Jesus speaks to Simon Peter. The boat, the boat is brought back to the shore. It's a very simple story, like all the things that happen in Jesus' life. There's very simple and straightforward. And the crowd is there. We, we'd read in verse 1, if you go back to the verses, uh, uh, Peter, that would be great. They're crowding round and they're listening to the word of God. It's interesting to note that. They were listening to the word of God. Jesus is preaching and yet they are identifying this as being the word of God that he's sharing. They'd understood something. that Jesus is the son of God. as uh, something that's still disputed in our own day. And, uh, and then Simon Peter uh, was, he says to Simon Peter, it's a bit kind of, you know, just says to him, he obviously asks him, could you, could you, if I get on the boat, would you row me out? Because the crowds are all pushing around, my voice will carry well. It's perhaps a natural, natural amphitheatre in a little bay on the Sea of Galilee. I guess some of you have been to Sea of Galilee. Have anyone here been? Kyla's been, so that's the only one. Um, but um, there'd be that natural amphitheatre. And now I don't know about you and boats. Have you ever, have you ever kind of been on a boat? We, we, when our children were sort of late teenagers, we went up to, we took them up to, we see Elspeth and I met in Durham. We took them to visit Durham. And there's a river, the River Weir runs through Durham. And they rent boats out like they often do on rivers. So we thought we'd have a family rowing trip. So we had this family, it was a family row, which, which became a family row. And uh, it, was, it was like the biggest row we'd ever had as four of us, right? In fact, it was so bad, we went back the next day to try and do it properly, right? <laughs> and, uh, and because rowing's not easy, okay? And um, the, the, the thing is, if, you just, if, Jesus, if Peter had just taken Jesus out in the boat, the boat would have drifted off. Or it would drifted back into the shore, whatever. Somebody had to be there, most likely Peter, maybe with one, two oars, keeping it on station. A boat will not just sit there, right? It'll blow somewhere, it'll drift, things will happen, there's current, there's wind. So, so Peter would have been there, you know, doing his thing. It would just come naturally to him. He was used to it, it was his profession. Uh, but he'd be doing uh, like this and... The, Jesus speaking to the crowd and Peter doing his stuff. I guess much like we're here at church, I'm speaking, there might be someone operating the PA or doing something. People are doing something. And Simon Peter was. And, um, you know, Jesus, we often, we can sometimes think, you know, that Christianity is something alien and very separate from our regular day-to-day world. As if God can only speak to you if you go to a special building with stained glass or go to some place where you've heard around the Christian scene that God is moving if you go to this place over there or that place over there. But time and again in scripture, God met with people when they were ploughing a field, which was their job, or they were doing their fishing or stuff like that. And so whoever you are, wherever you work whether you're an accountant or a school teacher or a janitor or you you, you working on a factory floor God can speak to you and 
uh, and he's looking. You see, Jesus actually needs us. He, he needed Paul, uh, Peter, Simon Peter, to do that at that time. And there was another time when he asked a woman if he could have a drink. And he genuinely wants her help. You see, Jesus isn't looking for an audience. He's looking for brothers and sisters who work with him in the family business. And, and he's inviting human beings to participate in this family. You know, Alan Scott, the a pastor of a church in Northern Ireland, he says this, God doesn't want it to be all of him and none of you. He said he had that before he created you. Right? He wants all of him and all of you. It's good, isn't it? Right? So, um, <clears throat> Maybe you volunteer in food bank or serve on rotors here or you, wherever you work, God can meet with you. So what did Jesus order Simon Peter to do? He says to him, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch in verse four. This is now you might think this is taking liberties wouldn't you? I mean, Peter, he's a professional fisherman. This is, his, this is his working boat. This isn't a pleasure boat. It's not one for having, it's not a boat you go to at the weekend for a little weekend jaunt. This is his working boat. And he knows about these things. And he must have known Jesus was a carpenter. And here we have the carpenter telling the fisherman about fishing. And this point has been made numerous times i'm sure you've heard this and i can imagine uh, you know we're told i'm sure you've heard preachers say these kind of things apparently most of the fishing in the sea of galilee is done close to the shore in the shallow water and uh, and it then drops off not far out it drops much deeper and that isn't generally where they go to fish plus you always do the fishing at night i think even today mostly fishing would be done at night freshwater fishing so this is really a very stupid idea, and you can well imagine the fisherman wanting to say, "Ah, oh, you know, Jesus, you booby, um, you know, you carpenter, me fisherman, um, should we just leave it there? Um, you know, enough said. But um, something about, um, and especially when Peter, they've just been fishing all night. He says, look, we fished all night, we failed. You know, give us a break. We just want to get back and go to bed. Um, and we stayed up a bit longer anyway for this malarkey sort of thing. I mean, it could, be, you know, it could be like that, couldn't it? And yet, as he was sitting there rowing, and he's been listening to Jesus, something's kind of touched in his heart. And so he says some very, um, you know, I imagine there was a lot of rolling of eyes, don't you think, of maybe his crew? Oh, my goodness, right? Isn't this likely? Don't we react sometimes to suggestions like that? It's not a welcome suggestion. So we're rolling our eyes. And, um, you know, my wife looked surprised when I said she was drawing her eyebrows on too high, as, as they say. Anyway, that's a sign. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but because you say so, I will. Right? Because you say so, I will. You know, I believe that. It's completely, Jesus loves people who say that, you know, because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. It's, a, it's just a kind of a yes to Jesus. And, you know, it must have come from something. Something Jesus was saying had just caught with Peter. And, and although he's thinking, his mind is telling him, oh, this is stupid. He's fed up. He's tired. He's a bit annoyed. But somewhere he feels a bit. I mean, Jesus had just healed his mother-in-law. You know, don't you feel a bit, you, you kind of feel a bit obliged, don't you, in that situation? And so, uh, and so whether, I don't know how much faith was involved, but he says, well, because you say so, I will. And, you know, the moment someone says something like that to Jesus, he's thinking, OK, I'm going to show you. 
I'm going to show you. <laughs> and so now, now, you know, the question is, I used to always think, you know, that Jesus knew where the shoal of fish was. I, I, actually, my faith these days is that Jesus commanded the fish to be there. Yeah. Right. Because it didn't really matter where Peter threw that net. It honestly didn't matter because Jesus was just going to command the fish into the net. Right. Because because Peter had said something really, really important because you say so. I will. And so, um, uh, you know, and this this was not a normal catch. This was a windfall catch. And remember, we can sometimes think, you know, Peter and James and John, these were the only people who fished on the Sea of Galilee. Well, of course, that wasn't true. There would have been many, many boats fishing. And and they were just uh, particularly part of one particular firm that was fishing there. And this was a really windfall catch. This was the sort of catch where afterwards you high five all the other guys in the boats and you say, OK, we're just going to land this, sell it in the market and you can have a month off. No more nights going out to fish. It, it was it, this. This was a windfall catch. It's like you know you've got a budget of sales for the next year, and at the end of month three, a fantastic order comes in, and you've made budget at the end of month three, and the, your whole year's budget. It, it's, it's like that. This is this is a huge thing, and um, and it and Jesus wanted to catch Peter's attention, and he does catch Peter's attention. And, and it's clear that Simon Peter actually realises, he, he's, he's, he's thinking this, and he's realising, because as a fisherman, he would have thought, get this on shore fast, get this sold fast, and let's get the gold. But actually, he, I'm sure they did do that, but there, there's no focus on that. The, the fish wouldn't have been left to waste. Nobody wastes good food like that. That would be, that would be immoral, actually. So that, that would not have been wasted, but it was not his focus at that time. And I want us to think a bit, what's this, the meaning of this miracle provision? And well, I, I believe Jesus was, there's a number of things I want to suggest here. I, I do think Jesus was training Simon Peter to know the blessing of his statement. Because you say so, I will. Uh, Jesus, Jesus wants us to know that when we say things like that, um, he's going to come through. Jesus loves people who say yes, who love people who say yes to a challenge, who say, yeah, we'll go for a week to India and we'll go on that mission or something. Yeah, we'll, we'll go for this. And, uh, well, we'll go out in, in different situations. We'll serve with children. And, and it's not just the, 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 those instant things. Sometimes He loves the people who say, yes, I, I will spend the rest of my life building a church here or building this business and employing people and being a blessing or, or serving with children's ministry or serving homeless or whatever it is God calls us to do. Jesus was training Simon Peter that wonderful things happen when we do what Jesus tells us to do. Now, God could train us in that, by pun- but, but with a stick, couldn't he? He could punish us when we don't obey, or he could bless us when we do obey. And I think Father likes to do the latter. He leads us to repentance by his kindness, the Apostle Paul said. And that's exactly what happens in this passage. So Jesus was training Simon Peter's faith to expect God to act when he did what God said. That's number one. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a sort of training that the, of the value that because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. That's number one. Number two, this. Jesus was starting, this is the first of several experiences in which Peter is involved with miraculous catches of fish. Right? Can you think of any others? 
the coin, right? Matthew 17, they, they came to Jesus and Simon was there and they said, aren't you going to pay? There were some duties to be paid to the temple or something like this. And, um, and Jesus had a little conversation with Simon Peter and says, you know, who, who pays taxes, the, the subjects or the sons? And it doesn't really matter what the conversation is. The end of the conversation is Jesus says, go and throw a line. You're going to catch a fish, open the mouth of the fish, there will be four drachmas that pays the tax for you and for me. Go and pay it. And so Simon Peter, because you say so, I will. He goes again. He fishes this time with a line. He catches a fish. There is four drachmas in the mouth of the fish. He goes, pays. Pa- That's episode number two. Next one. Feeding of the 5,000. Well, I'm just specifically thinking of catching fish, right? I know that's another, there were lots of miracles. I'm just specifically thinking about miraculous catches of fish. So, after the resurrection, yes, Steve. So, so Jesus, they're out fishing, because you read it in John 21, Peter says, oh, why don't we just go fishing, sort of thing. So they're out fishing, again, they don't catch anything, another failure thing. And then there's someone on the shore shouts out, throw your nets on the other side. The story coming back to you. They do it. They catch the fish and it suddenly goes doing. And Peter realized, oh, it's the Lord. It was the Lord. The, the episode repeats. Now, I've I, I found this just in the last week or two, listening to Alan Scott from Northern Ireland. We've mentioned this in our meetings during the week. He, he said how, you know, when the Holy Spirit is moving, he often wants to do the same thing over and over again. And for years, I've been a Christian now, 41 years, something like that, over 40 years, I've thought that when God is moving or the Holy Spirit's moving, he's going to do something completely unique and utterly original every time. But actually, now that I've heard Alan Scott say that, I think, no, that isn't actually necessarily true. God can be wonderfully original, but actually, again and again in Scripture, you think like Elisha and Elijah, the two prophets in the Old Testament, Elisha does identical miracles to Elijah and and three times this happens God is wanting to say to Peter look I've got an anointing on your life to fish and have miraculous harvest and then uh, remember it's a natural gift but it's also going to be supernatural because when he then spoke in Acts chapter 2 after the the Jesus had been crucified and resurrected and then ascended to heaven the Holy Spirit had been poured out he preached and there was a harvest of, of thousands of people turned to Christ. And so he was beginning to build a history with Peter. Do you know Father God wants to build that kind of history with you? He has a divine design on your life. And his divine design for Peter was, you're going to be someone who, who, who has miraculous catches. And, and, and it's going to happen in a variety of ways. You might be uh, fishing with a net, you might be fishing with a line, you might be preaching the gospel. But this is something that's going to happen in your life. It won't happen morning and afternoon and evening necessarily, but it will happen. Be ready. Be open to it. And so through hearing Alan Scott, it's made me think, you know, that's to be your experience as well. There's, that you would know that there's something of God's divine design, something that he will frequently be miraculously with you in, and that you would repeatedly go after it. And in that way, we learn to host and steward the gift of God upon us, rather than regarding that gift as something 
as a, just just a kind of random event that's sporadic and uh, inexplicable, and, and we can't, as it were, administer it. No, we are supposed actually to recognise the call. That's why Jesus three times, and maybe more times that are not recorded, has such an event in his life. So... Please, I invite you, I want to say to you, in the spirit, would you be alert? Because I believe the Holy Spirit is going to want to actually help some of us see, ah, this is how I'm wired, this is the divine design, this is what I am supposed to do more often, and then we would actually look for those opportunities, you, yeah? And we would spot them when they arise. And, 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 and because then we've spotted them, when we're in our daily lives, and maybe someone at work says, oh, yeah, I've got this really bad knee, and, and you think, oh, Father uses me to heal knees. I, I've, there's twice in the, the last three years I've been used to heal the knee. You, you, you particularly respond, bad knee, did you say? Doing. And, and you, you begin to realise that's the divine design for you. Yes, you, that you would come to us. And there could be many different shapes and sizes that might take. And uh, there's clearly, thirdly, a, 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 the experience shows that Father God is able to provide. This, this is a miracle of provision. It's a miracle of, of provision. It puts money in the pockets of these men that he employs. And so it's a good thing. It's, it's really important to see that. You know, Peter might well have thought this Jesus, you know, I don't suppose Peter knew Jesus when he was in Nazareth being a carpenter. No particular reason to think that he would have known Jesus at that time. So by the time Peter knows Jesus, Jesus was just this sort of travelling rabbi, and he might have thought Jesus is a bit of a... It's possible he might have thought Jesus was like a bit of a scrounger, really. He doesn't really know what a day's work is or something like that. It's possible he might have had that temptation to think of Jesus like that, as if Jesus is a, a dreamer, as it were. You know, somebody who doesn't realise how much work you've got to do to put food on the table for your kids and all this. He's not married, he doesn't have any children. He's really very out of touch, you know, this Jesus. And... But he's not out of touch. Jesus knows what these things are like. He knows you need to put food on the table. You'd have to pay the rent. And uh, he, he's, he's there for us in those needs as well. So, uh, and Peter is discovering about that. And, G- and Jesus is saying, yeah, certainly I have a dream. I mean, if anyone could say, I have a dream, it's not, it's, it's, I mean, Martin Luther King had a dream, but Jesus certainly has a dream. It's more than a dream. It's his purpose. It's his passion that the whole of the, of the earth would sing his praise, that, uh, that righteousness and peace and joy will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Yes, he has a dream, but he's no booby with his head in the clouds, right? He, he knows that we need these daily things. And, um, but also, I think, that Jesus was, because when Peter sees this miraculous catch, he, he, you, I imagine he would say, okay, guys, let's go back out immediately. Okay, Jesus, where now? <laughs> right? Where now? You know, because that would have been, for many of us, and I, I'm, you might say I'm just kind of missing the point, kind of contradicting what I just said about going with those things. And I believe very much in that, going with what God has given you. But, but, but the point is, that would have been a, a, a kind of money kind of driven thing, right? A bit like you, sometimes you, is it Evan Almighty or one of those things? He, he can guess, that he knows the lottery numbers in advance, so you can be endlessly rich. You, because if, 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 if Jesus is so clever, he knows where the fish are, that he's basically going to be a rich man. And, and, but Peter's thinking, so why aren't you rich? If you know where the fish are, if you can multiply bread, it, 
why aren't you rich, Jesus? And, and that's why I think he start, that's why he falls at Jesus' knees and says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Because he realises this guy could be rich and yet he's not bothering with that. What is different about this guy, Jesus? And it, it's humbling him because he realises that, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a wealthy person, by the way. Uh, but I notice people, people with a, a vocation to start businesses and to create employment, they want money put to work. They're not really interested in hoarding it. They want to put it to work. They want to invest and make more people employed and all the rest. This can be a calling God. That can be the divine design for your life. Right? But, but what... What Peter, Simon Peter was recognising, that for Jesus, the divine design was not to be rich. It was the kingdom of God. And, and so he's struck, because I think Peter's thinking, you know, for me, it's about getting rich. It's about looking cool to people around me. Uh, it's about, uh, you know, the myriad gods that demand and claim our obedience, right? These things, we must look cool. We must be popular. I mean, it's essential, isn't it, to be popular? And... Uh, 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 and we, we must be rich, or we must be this, we must be that, we must acquire goods, we must have the latest phone. So many things seem to demand our obedience. You must have these things. And Simon Peter looks at this Jesus and says, but he, he just is not enslaved to any of these other gods. There's no other king he has but the king of heaven. And, and so he realises, man, I'm sinful. I have all these things I'm running after. And here is a man who's not running after these things. He could have them. But he's not running after them. And he knows what his divine design is, which is to be the saviour of the world. And so um, Peter was just blown away, blown away that it was possible actually to be free of this. So go, but he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Right? Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, at the beginning of the story, he says, master. Because you so, say so, I will. Now he says, go away, Lord. Right? It, the, the one where it says master, it could be almost like boss, you know. It, it's, 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 not, it's, not, it's not disrespectful in any way. But now he's seeing Jesus in a much more authoritative position. And, um, and at this stage, he's just like that homeless man Megan and Kylo were mentioning about. He's, he's seen, oh man, my hands are dirty. I, all, all I do is motivated because I've got to get rich, I've got to look cool, I need people to like me, I'm, uh, I, I'm completely trapped in all of this stuff. I'm just covered in this dirt. I can't shake Jesus' hand, he'll get dirty with me. So I can't. Go away from me, Lord, don't shake my hand. Don't, you mustn't come near me. I'm, I'm corrupted. I'm just enslaved by all these other gods that I have to obey. And um, but Jesus knows better. Like we would, like Megan and Kyla told us so powerfully. Jesus is thinking, no, it's not your dirty hand that makes my clean hand dirty. It's my clean hand that makes your dirty hand clean. And, and, and time and again they had this. They had this very strong concept in their culture of kind of spiritual defilement. But Jesus had an overwhelming sense. I don't care because I believe that my holiness uh, undoes, contaminates and undoes all your defilement. And please, God, Christians would have that same view today, right? That we would have that confidence in God's grace and goodness uh, in us. And so um, at that moment when he tells Jesus to leave him, he finds out that Jesus has the authority 
to un, un, to release him from that 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 binding slavery to being popular, to being rich, to being yeah, all those things. I've just named a few of them. There could be many others. Maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. Some some ought, some must that you feel utterly compelled by that drives your daily decisions, which God wants to say, no, I want you free from that. You can be free from that. I can shake your hand and you can be free. And Jesus demonstrates in his own life that all those commands from those other gods are not as powerful as we think they are. We think it's essential I'm popular. Or, or whatever it is. What, what, what do you put in there? I cannot be happy unless dot, 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 dot. Whatever it is you put in there. Jesus says, no, that's not true. And so true freedom comes when we obey Jesus. So Jesus calls Simon Peter into his divine design. And, and he says to him, no, you don't need to be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid you'll contaminate me. I'm going to shake your hand and you're going to be clean. And I'm sending you. Right? I'm sending you. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, and he describes his divine design. From now on, you'll fish for people. Right? From now on. Now, of course, Peter didn't actually respond to it straight away. But that's a longer story for another day. But he's telling him, he's announcing his divine design. We are sent as his Jesus followers. We're both to hear God as he speaks to us, hear one another as we are called into his divine design. And we're also then to go and call others into their divine design. And so the story comes round, the boat comes back into shore. I'm sure they go and sell that fish, but also something changes. It says they left everything and followed him. We know they went back to fishing, but it began a process whereby Simon Peter's life was adjusted to the divine design that God had for him. So as we wind up, I just want to ask you, maybe you'd close your eye and just think about this, close your eyes and wonder, how well do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? If he says something in your hearing, if you read something he said in Scripture, Are you able to say, because you say so, I will? Because that step involves some level of trusting the person who has spoken. And God our Father wants to reveal himself to us so that we begin to trust the fact that when he speaks, we can say, because, because you say so, God our Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, I will, dot, dot, dot. Whatever it is he's calling you, that divine design for you. Because you say so, I will. How, how will you develop that trusting relationship with God the Father and God the Son? How will you get around Christ? There was Peter just in that boat. He was called to do that. Maybe, how will you help others do that? Maybe you'll suggest to someone else, oh, why don't you come and help with our sound on Sunday morning they may not know Jesus but they'll be there doing the sound a bit like Peter operating the oars on the boat and they'll be here hearing things and then they'll realise that Father has a divine design for them countless different ways we might express this to people maybe today's your very first time in church or something like that well if that's the case we 
in the new year we're going to run a course and, and it'll help you know, find out about who Jesus is, what he said, what he did, what he claims. But you'd come and see me afterwards and come and sign up for that. But for the rest of us, those who feel they know God, who know they, who know, they know God, how he wants us to know him more and to be so filled with trust in him.